Hey friends, this is Hannah Wedger, an agriculture teacher in St. Paul, Minnesota, land of 10,000 lakes, and I'm here to talk all things agriculture education related. Curriculum, classroom management, FFA, career development events, SAEs, and whatever else you want to hear about. It's basically me sharing chapters from my book of agriculture with all of you. Today I have on Natalie Strauss, and she's a chemistry teacher who is going to talk to us about mastery-based learning. So let's dig in. Hey friends, I am here today with one of my former co-workers and my good friend. Um, This is Natalie Strauss and she is a chemistry teacher Um, and I'm excited to have her on today. She's going to talk a little bit about mastery-based learning, which I think will be um, really applicable for all of our uh, listeners and hopefully we'll be able to incorporate it into our classrooms and I'm going to let her introduce herself a little bit more and talk about her background. Hi guys, Um, so I'm Natalie. I just finished my fifth year teaching chemistry. Um, I have my undergraduate in chemistry. I have a bachelor's in chemistry. Um, I didn't decide I was going to be a teacher until my senior year of college, so then I went on and got my teaching license and um, have now earned my master's in education as well. Um, This past school year, I switched schools and that was my first introduction into mastery-based learning. I had kind of heard about it in the past and had wanted to bring it into my classroom, but didn't really know how to do that. And so um, my colleagues and I last summer um, spent a lot of time recreating and revamping all of our curriculum to make it um, more student-centered and um, more of a mastery-based system. So um, I think it probably would be good to just introduce our guest, guests or kind of explain to our guests what mastery-based learning is. Yeah, so mastery-based learning um, puts a lot of um, the responsibility for learning on the students. And so we use it in conjunction with a flipped classroom, which means that I do not stand up in front of my students and talk at them or deliver lessons to them. Um, a lot of the content comes pre-recorded um, from us as teachers. We um, pre-record things and then put that out for our students um, to do the learning kind of on their own. And we do allow class time for that. Um, and that's kind of how each unit starts. And then we have a series of activities that are practice activities. And um, one of the initiatives in our district is a lot of choice through the learning. So we um, tell the students how many activities they have to do and they get to choose which ones they complete. Um, The biggest thing that makes it mastery is that I am not looking at each of those um, activities as like to grade or to make sure they got every answer correct or really any of that I could I I view them as the learning time and so I don't grade any of those day-to-day activities I don't grade them on kind of what they're doing day-to-day in class and then I grade um, a quiz at the end of that so once they've kind of done all the learning and met those requirements however they did that whether it was um, doing the activities on their own working with a partner working with a group um, I mean, realistically, they could copy the work if they chose to do that, but the only thing I'm going to grade is the quiz. And so when it comes around to the quiz and you don't get to use your notes or you don't get to use what you did along the way, if you went and copied all of that work, you're not going to be able to do it. So it's kind of a system that, yeah, they could do that, but it doesn't 
allow them to progress because it is so based on the learning. So they take a quiz at the end of that and that is their formative grade, how well they do on that quiz. And we do that series a few times for all of our learning targets and then at the end of that we'll do something summative. So where all of the information is put together on like a test or something um, that really assesses them summatively. Okay, so <clears throat> if I'm understanding right, you start off with um, some type of recorded maybe notes or some type of recorded instruction. Sometimes it's in class, you said. But... Yep, yeah, they can kind of choose where they do it. We set our timelines assuming that they're going to do it in class because just the reality of our population and stuff, a lot of them do not go home and do homework or don't have internet access, so they can't really do that at home. Okay. And then once you've done kind of the almost like a pre-teaching portion mm -hmm. or bringing that like information there to them, then you are, you have a series of activities for them to complete to kind of put that new knowledge to use. Is yep. that correct? Yeah. Okay. So what are some examples of the like activities? I'm thinking, cause you're chemistry. So how do you do like labs and stuff like that is my question. Yeah. So it does make it a little more complicated and we try to have variety. And so we stick with like, um, a lab, an online maybe simulation or something like that. Um, and then like a traditional more worksheet type of thing where they're kind of working through problems or answering questions. Um, we are an avid school as well, so we do have two things that are always there as options for them, and that is an avid one-pager, which is kind of a good mm -hmm. summary. Um, we have little different requirements for that, um, and so they can do that. And then the last thing is writing Costa's questions and a summary for the notes that they took. So if there's three sets of notes um, that are required for them to do before they do the choice activities and they choose to do Costa's questions, they'd have to write three questions for each of those set of notes and then do a summary. And so it kind of flips that traditional worksheet on its head in that I'm not asking them questions, I'm asking them to write questions and their notes should be the answers. Um, so in our heads as a teacher, we were thinking like, oh, all the kids are going to want to do that. You just are writing questions from your notes. And the kids actually hate that activity. And when that's <laughs> the last one that they do, they get so frustrated because we are pretty strict on what like kind of questions they can ask. They can't just ask like, what is this? Yeah. They have to go higher fairly level. in depth and they sure. are higher level questions. And so the kids get really frustrated with that activity, even though on a teacher end, it's so, it's an easy one to create. Yeah. Um. So yeah, we try to do a lot of variety. The lab one is hard. Um, typically, we have a lab set up and it's set up for the duration of that unit. And if kids want to do it and it's available, they can go do it. Um, we did have to become a little creative with some of our labs in revamping them to be a little more safe, a little less teacher directed so that students can kind of do them on their own. And I would say that was one of my big anxieties um, going into this was how am I going to manage that lab space? Uh, but my students have been pretty good about it. I really haven't had any issues with lab materials disappearing or being used improperly. I'd say I have more issues with like scissors and pencils than I do with <laughs> lab materials, um, which is just a whole other level of frustration. But um, yeah. <laughs> it it. It was a definitely an anxiety for me going into this, and it worked out pretty well. Okay, so they do the notes in the beginning, they do the activities, and then they have a quiz that they yep. take. 
Um, so how that's your check-in point. That's mm-hmm. how you know if students have mastered the content or not. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. And you have one or multiple quizzes or how does we, that typically work? We do our quizzes on Schoology. And so most of this is Schoology based. We, we do it all on Schoology and all of kind of the information is there put out to them um, on Schoology. The quiz then we created question banks. So we usually do a five question quiz um, they have to get a four on it to move on to the next activity or to the next set of lessons um, so they have to pass with like an 80% mastery um, in a five question quiz we'll have maybe 10 to 12 questions in the quiz bank so that um, it's a random set that's pulled for them every time now if a kid does not pass at that 80% mastery we have them circle back and they do one more of the choice activities And a lot of times we'll talk to the students and say, you know, you missed this concept. I think that this would be the best activity for you to go back and do. Um, That is another time that I really push those CASAS questions because it essentially forces them to go back and really take a deep dive into their notes. Mm -hmm. So sometimes we'll have students that are super passive as far as taking their notes. They just watch the video, find the information, and write it down. Um, And so... I'll push them back to that Costas because I want them to go really process that information. Um, Once they do that one more activity, then they can retake the quiz. But because it's a question bank, it just pulls random questions again. So sometimes they get lucky and they get the same questions that they already knew the answers to. And sometimes they get a random question that they then don't know the answer to. If that happens twice where they don't pass the test, we do a sit down. And so that is a forced sit down with me, let's go over stuff, let's really look at where you're not understanding and what you are trying to do to prepare. Um, And those can be a variety of situations. Sometimes it's truly that the kid, like I mentioned, is copying the work from another appear. And I I say like, no, I want you to go back and redo all of this essentially Mm -hmm. because you're not learning it. Um, Usually at that time, they're so frustrated that they want to take the time to just learn it because they're like, this is annoying she's gonna make me keep trying until I get it um and other times it's like they just miss this huge piece of content and by sitting down and me explaining it one-on-one then they're like oh my gosh that makes sense and so kind of where we go after that one-on-one meeting is totally dependent on the kid the kids who like it just clicks for I'll ask them to go back and spend five minutes looking at their notes and then I'll let them take the quiz. The kids who are not doing what they're supposed to, I make them do more work. Um, so it really ends up individualized and personalized to what the student needs. Mm-hmm. So how do you, okay, I have a couple of questions after that. Um, one question is how do you like check to make sure students are completing their like four or five or however yeah. many do you like sign off or what does that look yep. like? Yeah, we have like a cover sheet that, um, I initial next to everything that they do. So their required activities, they have to come show them to me. Um, One of my colleagues has the kids come show like every time they're done with something. And to me, that was too stressful. I have them create a full portfolio. They show it to me when they decide they're ready for the quiz. Um, One of the best things at the beginning when we started this, the kids would just finish the work, want to take the quiz. And then they realized that sometimes that wasn't the best for them. And so they'd finish all their work and then go back and spend some time doing other things. And I'd have multiple kids, you know, off task at the end of the year that I'd say, well, it looks like you're ready for a quiz. Let's do that right now. And they're like, no, 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 I don't want to take it. I know I'm not going to do well. And I'm like, well, then get on task. And so it was a really awesome to see their growth in terms of knowing kind of where they were at 
and whether they were actually prepared for that or not. And I'd have kids like want to do an extra activity because they knew they weren't ready or want to spend some extra time with their notes before I made them take the quiz, which was awesome to see them actually like taking that initiative and reflecting on that. Yeah, that's really cool. I mean, those like self-awareness skills that you're building for Mm -hmm. um, students and self-advocacy skills, that sounds really, really cool. That makes me excited. (laughs) Um, What does your role look like as the teacher then as you switch to this mastery-based learning? Like, you're not doing what normal teachers would do. So what does it look like? Right. Um, I like to consider it more of a facilitator. Um, So I work a lot more on facilitating and trying to work with students to be on task um, and work on a lot of those more... I guess you could call them like soft skills, like their time management, their self-regulatory skills, all of those things, um, which in some time, in some ways, feels like I have like my two-year-old son in my classroom because <laughs> the things that I'm reminding them of is like, hey, let's sit down and get a pencil out. And, you know, some of the kids need that and some of them need their reminder to be off their cell phones or to, mm-hmm. you know, pull out this. But I also get the opportunity then to really get to know them and... I think, like, I get weird looks from them sometimes when I walk up and, you know, just kind of listen into what they're talking about and then start asking them questions about their lives. Um, I teach in a population where I have a lot of black students, and hair is a really big thing for my black students, especially the girls, and I've always considered myself fairly good at noticing when students get haircuts or change their hair or something like that, and for my black girls, that changes often, and it's very different than for me as a white person and that's something that I learned a lot about and they always laughed at me when I would ask questions about like how they got their hair done or what it takes or how long it takes or does it hurt or like all of these things and we'd have awesome conversations about it and um, I feel like then I get to learn a lot about them not only as people but about their cultures and what interests them and things like that and yeah it deters a little bit from their learning in that moment but we end up with a better relationship and I get a lot more buy-in when then I ask them to do something that's challenging. They're a lot more receptive to that because they know that I've taken the time to get to know them. Absolutely. Um, so it is a very different thing and that was kind of one of my big fears with doing it was that as I was being observed by administration and stuff that they wouldn't understand that. And there was a lot of, you know, they'd say like, well, I noticed you doing this and I'd have to almost explain that to them um, and how, like, it's my goal every day to check in with every student. Um, And some days that happens and some days I have two that need a whole bunch of attention and it doesn't. And that that's okay because day to day I do get to know them and do kind of meet them where they're at and help them where they need to be helped. Yeah. So thinking about this, you're really kind of, cruising throughout the room most days and circulating throughout the room and I think probably I know you probably had this fear when you first started um but also like if I think about this I would have a fear about it too but how do you you as this mastery based learning and still kind of maintain control of the classroom and the students and making sure everything gets where it's supposed to done completed all that (laughs) um We hear all the time as teachers, like, classroom management and systems and structures are so important. And I think in secondary, we kind of forget that because we we think that by the time they're in ninth grade, our students should know how to, like, 
push in their chair and all those kinds of like normal school things. And so I really start at square one. Like, what does it mean when the bell rings? What is my expectation? What am I going to allow you guys to do um, as long as you do what I'm asking? So I have a lot of like, when I turn them loose to get started, I kind of set like a five minute timer. And sometimes that is a physical timer. And sometimes it's just in my head of like paying attention to the clock. It totally depends on what else is going <laughs> on that minute. But, um, and I'll tell them, like, you guys have five minutes. If you are making bad choices in five minutes and you haven't gotten started, I'm going to start making choices for you. Um, so it is that balance of, like, my my content or my uh, grade level is mostly 10th graders. And I hold firm that 10th grade is the hardest year of high school because you are no longer a freshman. You are You know what's going on. And a lot of them think they know what's going on a lot more than they probably do. Mm-hmm. But they're also stuck in this, like, on the cusp of freedom with getting driver's license. And they're not upperclassmen. And they're, like, barely able to maybe start getting jobs and have their own money. And so it's just this really hard place for them where their brains are telling them that they are adults and they have all this freedom. But they're not. Um, and so <laughs> They're not quite um, there yet. Yep. <laughs> I kind of approach it as the like, I'm going to treat you like an adult until you give me a reason not to. And if you're not going to make choices, then I will be the one to make them for you. And so I try to set that boundary right away and really follow through with anything I do with that in mind. Um, so even when they aren't maybe making the choice that I would want them to make as long as it's something that's safe and that's not hurting others. I I am okay with that sometimes. And I'll have that conversation with them. You know, maybe I see a student working on math. And so how do I get them then to work on chemistry? And usually my approach to it is, hey, I see you're doing this. Let's do two more problems of that. And then let's get to work and do one assignment for chemistry. And just try to kind of have that balance because it hasn't worked in the past to say, nope, that's not allowed. You need to put that away. Because in their head, that's the most important thing to them right Mm -hmm. at that minute. And so you kind of have to balance that when you do give them the freedom and they don't have like a set schedule to what needs to be done that day, you have to kind of balance that and going like total authoritarian in this system does not work at all because you're going to lose them all and they're just not going to do anything. Yeah. Um, I so agree with that. I'm a, a teacher who's a, probably a little bit more on the lax side of things. Um, but I think it's important to give students that choice too, because I think that's how they develop those like self-management skills is to be able to have choices. And yeah, so. and it's an awesome conversation to them to have with them when, you know, I'll give them a week or a week and a half to finish this set of work. Um, that's our pretty typical timeline. Um, and then I'll kind of check in with them every day, and they're maybe working on math one day, and then they have an English paper due the next day, so they're trying to work on that and. I'm very lenient about that, but at the end of it, when it comes that they didn't do as well as they want to and they're upset and they're asking me, like, well, what can I do? That's where I start the conversation. Well, this day you worked on math, this day you worked on English, which is great. I know you need to finish that, but you were wasting your time when I could have been helping you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I I have a conversation with them then that way to try to teach them that lesson through what they've experienced. And mm-hmm. I think that's way more meaningful and way more powerful they're going to remember it when they've experienced that sometimes it's complete failure sometimes Mm -hmm. they truly didn't do enough and I have to stick to not letting them turn something in or not letting them finish something or not letting them retake it 
Um, and sometimes it's just, I got a B instead of an A. Mm-hmm. And, um, those management skills are so important. And if they can leave my room knowing that, I always say, if they can leave my room knowing being a really good student and a really good person and maybe learn a little bit of chemistry too, then I did my job. Yeah. <laughs> like as a chemistry teacher, um, yes, it's a core subject. Yes, it's in the state standards. But ultimately, you just have to realize that your kids are not coming out of your room with the same kind of passion for your content as you might have. Mm-hmm. And so if you can get them to learn some of the content, but also make them an awesome person, that's, I think, what a teacher's job is a lot more than making sure 20 years from now they can remember how to balance a chemical equation or something like that. Yeah. I That makes me think of my floral design. And our last day, we did an etiquette lesson. Mm-hmm. like. Not a whole lot to do with floral design other than we made little arrangements to go with it. But, like, something so useful when they go out into the real world. And I'm just such a huge proponent of, like, exactly like you. Like, is it going to really bother me if they don't remember, like, what xylem and phloem is in plant science? Right. Not really. But if they leave my classroom being good human beings, then I'm going to be (laughs) a lot happier. So, okay. Another question that I have... um, is about students with differing abilities. So let's say you have students who are special ed or maybe you have um, English language learners, students like that. What? How does that work? So it actually works super well. Um, special ed I'll talk about first because of we kind of set out the, these are your required activities. This is how we define them, but required activities are those learning activities. So it's notes, it might be a textbook reading, it might be you know, a simulation that we want them to go through because it's really awesome. Sometimes it even is a lab, um, but those required activities, everybody has to do them. And then the choice activities, and we'll set out a certain number of choice activities that they have to do. So for the students that take more time or might have differing needs, um, we can just lower the number of choice activities, or we can take Mm -hmm. away a couple of them and say, now you only have to do two, but I don't want you doing this one, and I don't want you doing this one because we know for that student that's not going to be beneficial for them. Okay. And so it's so easy because you're not creating a whole second set of lessons. You're not really modifying any of your activities. You're just limiting their choices and kind of more guiding them to what they should need. Sure. Um, I'll also sometimes change requirements on things. So maybe I mentioned that they have to do three CASAS questions. Maybe I'll only have those students do two. Um, or maybe I'll be less strict about the, the higher level of questioning and they can write more lower level questions. Um, so it really lends itself to being able to make decisions based on that student, whether they are special ed or not, even if my students aren't special ed, but I notice they're struggling or they have stuff going on at home or whatever, I can really adapt to those kids too. Um, English language learners obviously ends up a little more complicated just because you are struggling with their like processing of the language which you can't really get away from that um and I actually didn't do a whole lot I didn't have very many in my class this year because we had a whole couple sections of English language chemistry they did the exact same things that we did they just would provide a lot more front-loading on the language um, and a lot more support um they would do the same things with modifying maybe taking away um some of the activities that were a little more language or math based I noticed they would take away just because those students struggle with like the math words um Mm -hmm. and kind of that processing um so they just, again, modify kind of the requirements within this same system. But there was 
not a whole lot of recreating or redoing or modifying our actual content. It was more modifying the like structure that the students are getting that in. Sure. Do you still do quizzes for those students or what does that look like? We do usually do quizzes. What I typically did with a lot of my special ed students this year um, was that I would have them take the quiz the first time on their own because I really wanted to empower them and to see what they did. And then we'd have a conversation about it. So I'd skip that, go back and do another activity and then try again. And I'd move right to the let's sit down and figure out what you didn't understand. Okay. Um, so that, and then I'd go from there. Some of them then just, you know, didn't read the question correctly and that's why. Um, usually the second time through a quiz with my special ed students, I would have them take it right next to me Mm -hmm. and I'd tell them not to submit it until I went through it with them. And that going through it would be reading the question, reading what they put and maybe asking them like a probing question or saying, well, you know, that, does that make sense because of this? Mm -hmm. And so just kind of not necessarily telling them the answer, not necessarily guiding them to the answer, but kind of asking those probing questions so that they make that connection. Mm -hmm. Um, between what I've seen them being able to do and what they marked on the quiz. Um, A lot of my special ed students this year had um, like processing problems or dyslexia or kind of those things that almost, it's not that they can't access the information, it's that their brain kind of muddles it up. Mm -hmm. And so having me right there or even just having knowing that I'm right there that they can (laughs) ask questions for gave them a lot more confidence in doing it. Um, I also try to take the approach with my special ed students. I think of one in particular that wanted me to be right there in everything she did. And I just couldn't be like with this system. I couldn't, you know, it's not like I could sit her right next to me and say, Hey, I'll be right here the entire class period Mm -hmm. to ask, answer questions because I had to get to my other students and that really empowered her. And it was really hard for me at first because she'd kind of get upset and like throw a little fit and put her head down and, it was really hard for me to not every time she did that go over to her and be like, hey, I really need you to do this. And it got to the point where I'd just kind of leave her and she would come to terms with it on her own, pick her head up and try again. Mm-hmm. And that was really great to see by the end of the year that she might throw that little fit. But if I just let her be, she'd fix it. And I think as teachers, sometimes we try to fix all of our students' problems the second yeah. they happen. Mm-hmm. And this, because I had, you know, 28 students in my room that needed me and truly did need me because of the nature of the system I couldn't always go running to that one that was very needy Mm -hmm. um, or the two that were very needy or the five that were very needy on some days yeah um what does the teacher workload look like for the structure yeah it's very front-loaded um we spent um, I think we did five curriculum days last summer where we spent eight hours revamping everything And actually, that was a lot of us figuring out the system that was going to work best and figuring out um, how we were going to define things, the required and the choice and then the check-in. Because you really have to set up your system. Once we had our system in place, creating the content for it wasn't hard because we all had these awesome worksheets that we'd done in the past. Um, And I would say that if you want to try to do this, the best thing you can do is find another teacher who teaches... Um, the same content and collaborate on it Mm -hmm. because then you are not the sole responsible person making all the videos or you're not the only one coming up with the activities. We kind of pooled all of our resources and said, well, I've done this worksheet. I've done this worksheet. 
let's make them both options. And so right there with no extra work, we had two options for the kids. Oh, and that's so nice. So you, it, it, it looks really daunting, but if you approach it that way, it's not as bad as it looks. Um, and then, um, so like through the year, it, it is a lot of front loading. We tried to be planned out at least a week in advance um, so that students could move on, but there's n- not all of that on the end of the learning. So I was not bringing stacks of paper home. I was not grading even by hand much at all because all of the quizzes were on Schoology. It self-graded them, and I'd go in and, you know, double check that it didn't mark them off because of a spelling issue or because of they put a decimal point somewhere, things like that. Um, but that was like a quick 30 seconds. It was mm-hmm. never um, going home and looking at 80 papers in a night. Um, my husband commented many times through the year about how I was so much less stressed and things like that when I got home because I truly got to be home. I didn't have this like looming stack of grading that I needed to do. Um, and that was really fulfilling to me as a teacher because I think sometimes we look at like how successful we are based on like how caught up we are on our work. <laughs> and and it feels like you're never caught up. Right. Yeah. And so yeah. I was, I, I actually went through the year feeling very successful because I was always, almost always caught up on my work. Now then when I all of a sudden gave a test and had all these tests to grade, that was like, oh crap, I haven't graded all year. What am I going to do now? <laughs> but you can manage it because you've then already planned out the next week and a half, two weeks. Mm-hmm. So you have time to grade mm-hmm. during your prep period or, you know, maybe those first couple of days when you introduce a unit and they're all just watching their videos. Mm-hmm. I mean, they don't need a lot of support on that. It's more the like classroom management, make sure they're on task, but there's not a lot of student questions during that time because they're yeah. just absorbing all the information. Do so you, you have a little bit of time. Do you, um, this is kind of going back a little bit, but do you and your, the teachers that you teach with or within your, um, what all all the chem teachers yeah. <laughs> the department that's the word I was looking for do you like each take a unit to record or um how does that work because that's kind of interesting to me to like not have my students always get content from me like some teachers teach differently and that might be good for other yeah. kiddos to have that um it depended one of the other chemistry teachers that I work with had kind of tried out this model last year but in a lower level course we background, we took two chemistry courses, kind of a lower level chem and our general chem, and we niched them together. For a multitude of reasons, we were seeing students self-select into the lower level that should be able to achieve at the general level. And so we put them together to kind of raise everybody's learning up. And we we leveled the class a little bit. We really embraced this mastery system so that we could really push students to their potential, whatever that was. Um, so because of that, some of our like lower level basic understanding, we already had videos from in the past. Um, and when those fit, we'd use them. Otherwise, um, a lot of the videos that I would make would be a PowerPoint that I had used in the past and I just had to record it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and then sometimes it was like brand new, we were changing the whole learning target and so I needed to start from scratch. Um, so it really just depended. We did definitely divide and conquer. There was a lot of, um, you know, we'd have a quick 15-minute meeting and say, well, I'll make the notes for this unit. Can, you have some worksheets. Can you dump those into the resource page on Schoology? Mm-hmm. And then let's check in tomorrow and see what we've got. Mm-hmm. Um, my school does not have collaborative planning time. Um, so this was quick lunch meetings after school, like in the hall kind of things. Um 
so we did a lot of divide and conquer um and we did break it up a lot too it definitely was evident who was more comfortable doing the video recording mm-hmm. um and then it, it's always a learning thing this year we learned a lot and we'd make a lot of notes of you know this video we need to revamp or this one just did not teach them the way that we thought it was going to um and so changing it up every year and being okay with that because it is so much front-loading time and there is a lot of time into making these videos, it'd be so easy to see that, oh, they didn't get the content that I was hoping they'd get from this video, I'm just going to scratch it and I'm going to do a traditional lecture for that because it'd be too hard to make a new video. When you're not starting from scratch, you're editing what you have. Um, So I think that's a big thing for teachers to know is that don't start from scratch from this. Use the PowerPoints you have. I was a, um, I did a lot of notebooking in my previous um, classrooms, and so I'd look back at my notebooks and see, okay, well, here's how I laid out the notes for this kid, or this unit, now I'm just going to make that into a PowerPoint. So I wasn't coming up with the phrasing or the, like, order of teaching or any of those things. I was just revamping it or changing the mode in which I was delivering it, Um so don't go into it thinking you're starting from scratch or that you don't have anything. You probably have a lot. Um, and those choice activities, it could be one thing you did last year and one thing you did three years ago. It doesn't necessarily need to be all the things that you did the last time you taught this class. You can add things in, um, you know, take things out, all of that, move things around a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some like common myths if people are thinking about mastery based learning? What are some myths that you hear, things people ask you, different stuff like that? Yeah, um, I guess the biggest one that comes to mind, and this I guess isn't so much from other people or even from other teachers, but I get it from the students a lot that I'm not teaching them, mm-hmm. and I don't even hear it from parents very often. It's the students like that don't want to be on task, don't want to read don't want to watch the videos, don't want to do what they're supposed to, and they're like, well, you're not even teaching us. And it's very interesting to me that they don't realize that the voice on the video is me or is the other chemistry teacher. I had them say multiple times through the year, like, that person on the video said this, and I'm like, that person, huh? And they just, they don't, they don't see that connection, and they don't understand that we took a lot of time into making that. Mm -hmm. And if they have questions, that's great. But it is not in any way that I am not teaching them. Mm-hmm. It's it's putting the material out there and asking them to learn it. Mm-hmm. And I think that you need to look at teaching and learning as very separate and different things. And so the way in which we teach, yes, the end goal is learning, but we don't have to teach the same way to get the students to learn. Mm-hmm. We can put a little more emphasis on that learning and just provide the stuff for them we don't have to actively be quote unquote teaching them in what we think the traditional term definition of teaching is mm-hmm. that's so interesting <laughs> that they don't realize it's yeah my favorite was the like <laughs> that person on the video yeah. i just look at him and be like that person huh yeah. <laughs> um okay the other question that I have you have for you is um, thinking about like initiatives that a lot of schools are moving towards. So like paperless or cell phone usage or whatever else. How does that work with mastery based learning? I for me it works really well. We have Schoology as a platform in my district, so 
the push to use it was like, okay, yeah, I'll just use it. <laughs> like I didn't have to create a separate website or way to deliver the content to the students. Um, paperless, we did not go paperless last year. We decided that this was too new in terms of like the systems that we needed, we could not be also figuring out the workflow student to teacher of trying to make sure work. After having students lose papers and how much ridiculous printing we did, um, we that's like our end goal, but we also are very realistic in that it's not going to happen next year. It's mm-hmm. going to happen like three years from now once we really have that good content base um, and once we've really have good systems. And I think that the paperless thing is an awesome goal, but you really have to have good management of it and good applications so apps on the ipad or apps on the chromebook or mm-hmm. using really utilizing google and understanding how to utilize google um to make it work well and if you don't understand those things you you can't do it um so it, it definitely fits in with all of the initiatives the the cell phones is a interesting one um in that i'm very lax on that because like i said if a student is not making the choices that they need to make, then we have a conversation about it. So I'll do my kind of whole, you know, cell phone should be away, um, but inevitably they take them back out and that's okay as long as they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. And so when they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing, we learn it, we use it as a lesson mm-hmm. more and we talk about it, you know, the, you were on your cell phone, that's why your work didn't get done. And they'll try to argue, but I'll, you know, or even the, you're not teaching me, that's why I was on my cell phone. And I'll say, you know what, you're not trying to learn the material in this way. I am putting it out there for you. You're not making the attempt, so you're not giving me what I need to be able to change my systems. Like, mm-hmm. I don't actually have evidence that this isn't working for you mm-hmm. because you are not putting in the effort to try to make it work for you. So, you know, I, I had kids this year say, like, this, this way doesn't work for me. And they wouldn't have even tried it. And so I would push back at the, you need to give it an attempt before I make a modification to it because I'm more than happy to modify it or to help you out or to sit here in class or after school or whatever to help you learn the material. But until you're putting in that effort, I don't actually have proof that it doesn't work for you. Yeah. Um, so just really using all of those kind of classroom management like disruptions almost as lessons and conversation with those students to try to guide them to um, how things would be if they were in like a corporate setting or something like that. Yeah, and I think we're probably going to have to record an episode just (laughs) all on cell phones because I have some thoughts on it as well. Um, I have one last question, and it is kind of related to that, but your students that maybe are just like doing the bare minimum, how are you encourage or how do you encourage them to dig deeper and yeah. really kind of get into that content to be able to learn? Yeah. So one of the things we did too, was we leveled the material. Um, so we'd have a, we are a standards-based grading district. So everything is graded on a four point scale and it's a little wonky, like a one and a half is a D, which doesn't work if you're used to a traditional 100 point like percentage based <laughs> scale so it was super difficult to understand i truly still do not even know the like grade breakdowns of the different points but i do know that a 2.75 was <laughs> a b plus and so when we started this we had two levels we had a level three and a level four 
work. And so everyone was going to achieve at that level three and they were going to go through this process once. And then we'd have level four stuff that was the deeper. It was maybe the more math based, a little higher order thinking, a little more problem solving. Um, and they'd actually go through the same system again with the required activities, the choice, and then a quiz at the level four. So if they did it with the level three and they got that 80% on the quiz, the highest grade they could get on that learning target was a three. They could then move on and try to move up to that. Um, the problem we saw was that in our system, a three was an A minus. And so we had no kids wanting to go on oh, to yeah. that A because they were like, I got the A minus. Why would I do all this extra work to get an A? So we bumped it down to a 2.75. We literally changed nothing about the system. We just changed the definition of where that first checkpoint was, 2.75, um, because now that was a B plus. And the kids that wanted the A were going to go on to do it. Yeah. So we changed <laughs> it a tiny bit. We said that if you move on and did the level four required activities and showed me that you did them, I'd give you the three. Mm-hmm. So they didn't have to do the whole system. They didn't have to take another quiz. They didn't have to do any of that. They just had to do the notes, essentially. Mm-hmm. Their scores went up on the test because mm. they were doing those notes. They were accessing the content. They weren't necessarily practicing it. So they, didn't, they weren't getting 100% or fours on the test, but they, were, they had access to the information, and they could mm-hmm. write a little bit of something down mm-hmm. on those questions on a test. So... We just tweaked how we define stuff to try to force them (laughs) to move on, which was a really funny thing to see in that, like, the way that we define, like, success and mastery as a teacher is going to be the way that the students do. And those students that were happy with a B plus and were done after the first time through it, great, that's fine. But then I could have a conversation of, like, you do know that it's, like, a seven-minute video and you just have to take notes and you could get a three. And they'd be like, okay, fine, I'll do that. So they'd do it. And they'd come show me, and I'd be like, well, you do know that if you just do these two more worksheets, then you could take the quiz, and you could get a four. And they'd be like, oh, how many more days do we have to work on this? And I'd tell them, and they'd be like, oh, okay, I'll do that. Or I'll try. Or maybe I'll do it tonight. Like, okay. And I didn't really push them. I didn't say it had to be done. But I just kind of put it in their heads that, like, how much more work is this actually? Yeah. Like, you know, you're, you're setting yourself up for I'm only going to achieve at this level because I don't want to do any more work and start to frame it in the like, well, why don't you just try this one? Or um, even just having a conversation about like what they thought was interesting and maybe it wasn't a choice project that I put out there for them, but I had something like in my years ago taught that yeah. they might <laughs> like better. So let's try that. Or like, yeah. you know, you do get into a little bit of that like, bargaining with students and they're like well I don't want to do this but could I do this instead and some of the times I let them do it and some of the times I don't but I think even the fact that they're asking to do something instead of something you put out there shows that they have the desire to do it and so you can decide am I going to let them do it this time am I going to not but either way they're being an active participant in their Mm -hmm. learning and that's really what this system emphasizes is that the learning is on them and they have to decide it. I will provide all the tools and the support to get there, but they have to decide they want it. Yeah. I like that. I like that a lot. Um, all right. Well, is there anything I should have asked when I did not ask you? Um, I don't think so. Um, the only thing I could talk about is kind of how we structure our tests, but I think that that would 
that's kind of complicated. And so if we, if, <laughs> if people are interested in it, we can definitely do that on another one is how we do the assessment portion of the mastery base, because it does, especially with the leveling and stuff, it gets a little crazy. Um, but <laughs> we can totally we'll do that another time. Ease people into <laughs> yeah. the mastery based learning. I'm excited. I think I'm going to try it in a couple of units. Yes. And implement it that way first and just kind of get some comfortability with it and then, um, see what, how it might work in some of my classes full time. Yeah. And I think the thing, like I said, is figure out your system and figure out your system, not necessarily for the year, but for a unit or for mm-hmm. a trimester or for a semester, whatever kind of your benchmark is and stick with it. And then even if you notice in that first time you do it, you're like, it's not working. It's going to take a while. Mm-hmm. The first time we went through it with students, it was like pulling teeth, like, no, <laughs> next you do this, next you do this. And I yeah. said that a million times. And it was so frustrating and it makes you want to like give up. But once they have the systems down, they know what they're doing and you're not doing all of that teaching of directions anymore and you do get more into the content. So especially whatever you start with, have it be something that they probably have a lot of background in or is a really introduction or something you know, don't jump into like calculus (laughs) with this, um, because that's, that's just not going to work. Yeah. Um, do something very basic. The first thing we started with was safety and we created our whole safety unit in this model because it was one of those things that like, well, wear your goggles. Like they they understand that Uh we have to do it, Uh but we were then more teaching the model. We weren't so much worrying about the content that they might miss or not get. Um, so like teaching the scientific method. Right. Okay. Yes. Yes. Something that they is probably a review that they've probably gotten before. And then when you do want to tweak it, don't just scrap everything you have and change it. Because if, if, if multiple things aren't working, it really could be that one thing isn't working. So my example would be, we saw kids not going to that higher level. Mm-hmm. We, we lowered it. Like mm-hmm. that's all we did. We, we talked long and hard about what we were going to do. And we finally settled on, like, that was the easiest thing to do, and let's just see if it worked. Yeah. And when it did work, it was such a relief to not have to revamp this whole system. Yeah. Um, you know, still at the end of the year, we have lots of ideas of how we're going to change this next year, um, and we'll see if they work. And But going into it with, this isn't necessarily the structure you're setting up for the whole year, this isn't what you have to do, you're not married to it. If you want next unit to be traditional sit and lecture go for it. Mm -hmm. There were days that there were some things that we did sit and lecture for. Mm -hmm. Um, Very interesting that the students who were most combative about like, you're not teaching me were the same ones not paying attention when I sat and lectured. (laughs) And I had that conversation with them of like, I don't know what you want from me because you don't like this and you don't like this. So we're like, um, so it is a very good opportunity and you want to expose them to all of those kind of ways of learning Mm -hmm. um, and force them to take what they can from each. Sure. So that they're not just, you know, you get the kids that are, have been told, well, you don't learn that way. Well, we need to adapt and we need to try new things. And sometimes a certain content might not work a certain way, but others do. So they have to be open to that. Well, thank you so much. Um, I'm excited to try and implement this, like I said, and maybe I'll do a few lessons back, or a few um, units back to back. I think that might be yeah. a little bit better, but yeah. This is my favorite part of the podcast now because I get to ask you some questions um, so the audience gets to know gets to know you a little bit better. Um, so my first question is, who has had the most influence on your teaching career? 
Oh. Um. And in your defense, I didn't share the script <laughs> with you ahead of time, so you, you didn't. didn't you didn't get this um, um the time to be able to think about like most of my guests do. <laughs> <laughs> um I think it's every time I this is gonna be super generic, but I every time I get new colleagues or um someone new comes in whether it's working directly with me or just with the same group of students, I get new ideas. So I love talking to you about like <laughs> what you do in your classroom because we don't teach the same content. Um, we do teach at, at a time when we talk together, we talk the same kids, but it's so interesting to me to see what works in other classrooms and to try to then make it my own. Um, I do not feel like that's a generic answer. I feel like that's a really good answer because I always think about like a specific person, but that is like such a huge influencer of like my teaching is pulling from like other teachers and other content areas. Yeah, and I'm I'm probably that annoying colleague that's like, well, tell me about how you do this. Yeah. Tell me about how you do this. And um, I covered for another teacher who was out one day and didn't have a sub, and I was asking their students about like the things they do, and the kids kind of looked at me like I was nuts, and I was like, no, I really want to know because yeah. this is super cool. Um, and even the, I think the one that got the students was like, well, do you guys like when you do it this way? And they were kind of like, why does a teacher care if they like it or not? <laughs> and I just, I do think it's really interesting because like I said, not everything works in every classroom. Mm-hmm. And, um, I don't have any desire to get to a point in my teaching where I have my curriculum set for the year and all I have to do is like publish it on Schoology and make my copies Yeah, because that would be so boring. And I'm so thankful for the mastery-based system that it really has decreased my grading workload because I think that's a point of stress for most teachers. But that does not any in any way mean that I am not adapting it. Yeah. Um, or the time I've put into the videos, there are ones that I want to redo. Mm-hmm. Even because I just feel like listening to them, I sound stupid on the, <laughs> the video and I couldn't stand all the kids listening to it and having to listen to myself make mistakes. Recording stuff is like a... Ho- Super stressful. It's a whole new beast. Uh-huh. That is... It's interesting. And there would be times where I'm... I mean, the first one probably took me like an hour to record just because I redid it so many times. But then by the last one, I was like 15 minutes and I'm done. And I don't really care that I pronounced a word wrong because... It is what it is. (laughs) It is what it is. And the reality is the students either will notice or they won't. Yeah. And probably either way, they're not going to care. And if they do notice, it's going to make you seem more human. Mm -hmm. I am a big advocate of making mistakes in front of my students and not knowing how to do things and stuff like that and you just apologize and you move on and you try better next time and that's okay with me. I had a huge mess up this year with a Punnett square. I don't want to talk about it but it was not good and we had to reteach the next day. Um, okay, my next question is what is your go-to order at your favorite hometown restaurant? Oh. And I guess it doesn't necessarily need to be a hometown restaurant but I don't I really like to be like to have a hometown restaurant because of where I live. <laughs> There's not <laughs> my last guest, Emily Cooper. Um, they have a stop sign in the middle of their town, and that's oh, it. And that's it. Yeah. yeah, there's not a whole lot of restaurants by me. Like you have to drive a good twenty five minutes to get to Target. Um, but Fa- they're like favorite place to go out. To yeah, eat. there is a Chipotle by the Target, and that's probably when we go out. That's the easiest thing because I have a two year old, and so. Finding a place that's not going to judge you when your kid is throwing all their food on the floor is sometimes a challenge, and I feel like Chipotle is kind of our go-to. 
But I like a steak burrito bowl. And then, pro tip, get your tortilla on the side, and you can still have it a burrito without it going everywhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then, what are three of your simple joys? Oh. Um, I enjoy my house, but then I think not in the way that other people enjoy their house. My house is by no means clean and organized and that stresses me out (laughs) but we have um a really awesome property and we bought our house when we were younger and um people always ask us why we move so far out of the cities but it was at the time it was truly what we could afford and now it's the quiet and I look at other people's neighbors who are like right on top of them and Mm -hmm. um we can sit on our deck and the extent of like what we hear as terms of noise is like gunshots off in the distance from the people that are duck hunting like Uh and that's awesome so that is definitely a joy when we can take that quiet at the end of the day and Uh last night we had a crazy night with our son just being really wild and not wanting to go to sleep and being able to go sit on the deck and have it quiet and not Uh listen to the craziness of then what was going around us was really awesome um I this is gonna sound super cliche but I do really simple joy of my students they are so awesome and I'm so thankful for them this year in this system that we've set forth because I do feel like I truly know them and I miss them Mm -hmm. and I miss hearing about their crazy stories of like their job and the places (laughs) they work and the crazy people that come into their jobs or um the ones that I feel like I know their families and all the crazy stories they tell me about their families and then I meet their parents Mm -hmm. at conferences and I'm like oh you are not as crazy as your kid makes you to be, but I probably do the same with my family. Yeah. Um, and so that just, it, it does bring me joy and it makes me look forward to next year, especially that it was my first year at this new school, that next year I'm going to have those kids that, to, to get to say hi to again. Mm-hmm. Um, and I missed that this year of having those kind of upperclassmen and those kids that mm-hmm. I taught before to say hi to. Um, and then my last one, I guess, would be... My kiddo, as much as he's stressful and he's at a crazy age and he's mm-hmm. learning so fast, he just amazes me every day and um, just really reflecting on the things that I'm trying to get him to learn and how the ways in which I work on stuff with him can apply to my classroom and to getting 10th graders to learn even though they're 14 years older than him, (laughs) that, like, a lot of the things I have to remind myself in having patience with him is the same things that I need to remind myself to have patience with my teenagers. Um, Because in a lot of ways, they they do have the same basic needs and some of the same goofy quirks. I, um... We did, like, little pennant banners the second semester, and each student had to have, like, a goal word that they were going to try to accomplish. Just one word, and so I did it with them, and mine was patience. Yes. I don't know how good I was, but, like, in those situations where I was just super stressed out, I was like, patience, Hannah, patience. Yes, yes. Because um, those high schoolers, they'll get you. I know. <laughs> and it's... Being a mom and being a teacher is, like, the hardest thing. I think being a teacher or a mom is really hard, and then you put them together, and it's so hard. I mean, I have 120, 150 about uh, 10th graders, 10th, 11th, 12th graders that I see every day during the school year, but I was really excited to send my son to daycare today because he was (laughs) exhausting these last two days, and that's only one kid. I know. And so I just see the 
balance and how patience, I think, is a great goal word. You just have to have patience in everything you do. <laughs> you might have to continue that goal word. Right? <laughs> um, how can the audience find you if they want to get a hold of you, like Instagram? Or... Yeah, I'm on Instagram. My handle is at natjstrauss. Um, and then I'll have Hannah attach my email to if you have the any. podcast, too. If you have yeah. any questions, I'm open to it. It is summer, so I'll put my school email up. Check it, like, once a month. But during the school year, I'm on there all the time. <laughs> well, I'm so excited. I can tell that you, well, I know just from being your friend that you're really passionate about teaching and education, just like me. Um, and I am excited to get this out to my audience so that they can get to know a little bit more about, about mastery-based learning and hopefully try it out in their classroom. So thanks. Yeah, yeah. You just finished listening to episode 12 of Ag with Miss Wedger, where I'm sharing chapters from my book of agriculture with each of you. I hope you enjoyed listening and learned a little bit more about mastery-based learning. For show notes, please visit my Instagram at Mrs. Wedger for info from our chat today. If you have any questions or ideas on topics you want me to dig in and cover, or if you want to be a guest, you can send me an email at agwithmisswedger at gmail.com. I hope you have a great week and we will talk to you soon. Bye-bye, everybody.